Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, whatever you are, take a deep breath. We're joining with creation. It's Humanity Week. This week, we welcome Pastor Meredith Harbor to All Places Together. Meredith is currently serving a Lutheran congregation in Alaska, and she has also served in the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. In between college and seminary, Meredith was a young adult in global mission. That's a missionary experience of the ELCA. On her Yagam year, as we often call it, she lived in Palestine. Meredith is an avid adventurer, a CrossFit champion, and a dog mom to two of the cutest dogs that Instagram has ever seen. Welcome to All Places Together, Meredith. I'm so happy you're here with us. Thanks for having me, Pastor Colleen. So tell us, where is home and what makes it special? This is a great question, and uh, it's kind of a tough one. So home currently is Soldatna, Alaska, which is on the Kenai Peninsula uh, in Alaska. And so that's my physical home. What makes it special is that I can do anything and everything in this place. You know, yesterday I went golfing for the first time. And the other day I went clamming for the first time and then picked blueberries out in the wild and have caught my own salmon and fished and have been kind of everywhere doing everything this summer from backpacking to camping to you just name it. And then we flip in the winter and I can ski and I can, you know, snowshoe and I can do all these really awesome things all the time. And so that's what makes it special to me, just the huge variety that is here in Alaska. But your question is an important one because what I found myself saying, as you kind of said in my intro, is that I've lived a lot of different places So I found myself saying to some people in my life that you are home to me and that as much as I love my activities and my congregation and the life that I have in Soldatna, when I have a really bad day or when I feel really lost or when something else is going on, I find that I call certain people and I say, you're always home to me in a not so much a physical sense, but those are the people that are home to me because it reminds me who I am and why I matter. And so in particular, I'd say my strongest home right now is my godson and his family. Um, When I have a bad day, I call their family and I FaceTime and I have this nine-year-old little boy named Henry who loves me so much that will just FaceTime with me and tell me silly stories. And his mom, Katie, has just been such an amazing friend to me. And so anytime I have a bad day, Katie very sweetly is like, I'll punch anybody who's mean to you, but then also says, please come visit us as soon as you can. So shout out to the people homes that we have, whether those are godsons or friends or the communities that we're a part of. It's just such an honor to be a part of this podcast with you, Colleen, and to see how you are making a home for people without a building, without a geographic restriction. So thanks for inviting me. Thanks for making me a part of this journey that you're on. And I'm just so honored to be here with y'all. Thank you, Meredith. That means so much. And I can't believe that your godson is nine already. That blows my mind. Yeah, he turned nine yesterday. So. Oh, so he's a new nine. 
He's a new nine, a very new nine. But yeah, he's nine. Hard wow. to believe. That's amazing. And I do want to ask, out of those incredible, all those incredible Alaska activities that you listed, it, did you do any of those before you moved to Alaska? I would say I liked to camp, obviously. I mean, you didn't give the shout out, Colleen, of why I know you, like the most important thing. Uh, Colleen and I worked together at Lutherland, and I know you had our friend Kayla on your podcast before, another Lutherland connection, and um, John Steiner, Pastor John of South Dakota Synod. So I know there will be other Lutherland connections as you go on, but Colleen, you and I had many fun times back in Lutherland. So certainly the camping part of it, the hiking, just being outside was instilled at me from that experience. But things like I don't know, fishing. I don't think I ever would have picked up a fishing rod and been like, yeah, this is a fun way to spend my day. But I love doing it in Alaska in part because when you salmon fish in Alaska, it's a lot faster. So it's just, you flip and the fish come on and you're not sitting there for hours and hours with no bites, but you can limit out, you can get six legal salmon in an hour and be done. I mean, that's way faster movement than 12 hours of nothing for a trout. So that's part of it. But yeah, all the other stuff, never had picked blueberries before, never even golfed before, which is not uniquely Alaskan, but there's something about this adventurous spirit that has been pulled out of me living in Alaska in particular. That's amazing. I just, I love your, that adventurous spirit and all of the new experiences that you've been able to have and that I watch. And someday I will come up that way and get to sharing them with you. Yes, please. <laughs> so as I said in the introduction, this week in our season of creation is Humanity Week. Now, I have to say, at first, it seems a little odd that there's a Humanity Week as part of the season of creation. But upon further reflection, it actually does two important things. First, it reminds us that humanity is a part of creation, uh, that we're not something other or something all that different from the other animals and plants that we share planet Earth with. And then it also reminds us about our place within the system of creation, that we are connected to all of these other um, aspects of creation as well. The Bible says a lot about humanity, especially when we think about our bodies. The Bible talks about the way that our bodies are to interact with other human bodies, and there's a lot to unpack there, especially when we think about race, sexuality, bodies from other places, and bodies that are differently abled from our own. However, our focus for today is on how God imagines our human bodies can interact with the rest of creation. If you listened to last week's episode with Lyle, you may remember that he shared with us an updated translation of this verse from Genesis, Genesis 1.26. And it's a verse in the creation story where God is talking about creating people. And it reads in most translations something like this. 
Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all of the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And there's a similar use of that word dominion in Genesis 2 as well in the second creation story in the Bible. And Lyle shared with us that a more accurate translation of that word dominion is actually to serve. And this shifts the entire way that we can think about how humans interact with creation, especially when we read this to serve creation, and together with a passage from Mark. Meredith, can you set the scene for us about what's happening in Mark and then read for us? Absolutely. So Mark, uh, one of the four canonical gospels, Mark is known for saying immediately, immediately. It's the shortest of the four gospels. Uh, The writer of Mark makes it very concise. So if you have not sat down and read an entire gospel. Mark is a really easy one to do. I think it's like 13 or 14 chapters. I don't know. It's not It's not very long and you can easily do it in a short amount of time. So Mark is kind of this concise one. But in Mark, Jesus is always on the move, kind of walking and being with people and figuring stuff out. And our scripture comes from this place where Jesus is teaching the disciples as they're walking along the road to get to Jerusalem. James and John are two brothers, and they ask Jesus to sit on his left and right. And then the other disciples get angry with them, and then we hear this conversation from Jesus. So here is from Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In hearing you read that right after reading these verses from Genesis about serving creation and taking care of creation. It just expands these verses from Mark in a whole new way, Um, that we're just not serving other people, but that we're serving creations as well, and that there are implications then when we put ourselves first. There's implications in our human relationships when we put ourselves first. And then there's also implications for creation when we put people above every other creative being and plant that there is. And so Meredith, I was wondering if you could share some stories from your experiences about what happens to creation when we put humans first. Thank you, Colleen. This is a this is a tough one to process. Uh, we are living in a time and a place where we have taken a lot of advantage over God's creation for a long time. And I think you know, you and I have grown up in this world where it was a huge part of our curriculum to talk about recycling and talk about 
not throwing litter out the window. I mean, I remember some of those things just being pounded into us when we were in elementary school. And I remember being militant with my mom. Our family still recycles because we came home from school and we shamed my mom into recycling, which, you know, like you, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, but for us, the closest recycling option was 45 minutes away. So we'd have to bag up all our cans and plastic, put it in the car and drive 45 minutes away to drop off recycling. So think about elementary school. That is dedication. I grew up with single stream recycling from as long as I can remember. So like, I'm impressed with your get-go and family commitment. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, we like shamed my mom hard and yeah, it was, you know, piling in the trash and the recycle, well, not the trash. We had pickup for trash, but separating our cycling. And then we have to drive it to basically past anywhere else. We had no other reason to go to this little community other than to recycle. So you had to kind of prepare for it. Um, so we, that was just the, what I grew up with. And I think that's part of our generational marker as our age of millennials, that there was a lot of that in school curriculum about advocating for, you know, schools weren't calling it creation, but environmental care. Uh, that was a big, that was a big push for us. So, and I think it's important, and I'm going to say a little bit more about this, but I want to remind you too, Pastor Colleen, is one of the things that stands out to me when I remember our time together working at Lutherland was the kind of reward system of getting your beads with your campers for the ways in which we were environmental caregivers. Oh, so yeah, I remember that. Little, yeah, and it was almost like a game or a competition, but you know, you'd get a bead if your cabin made sure they turned their lights out every time they left and the environmental staff would pop in and spot check you to see if you left your lights on or you'd get a bead for, you know, picking up the most micro trash. And so as counselors, we'd have to walk around with these Ziploc bags and just collect random bits of ice cream wrappers or whatever trash was on the ground. And those things continue to impact me because I am out in public and I think, oh, that's trash. I need to pick it up. You know, I was on a hike recently and we were, I mean, way at the top of this mountain overlooking Spencer Glacier and there was a smashed beer can at the top and it was just mangled and it's still, you know, picked it up, put it in the backpack, brought it home because there was no reason why there's a beer can at the top, top of a mountain that not many people even get to. So I would say, you know, these things have been kind of instilled in us from a young way age because of our generation in the edu- in the education system. But in particular, I think living in Alaska has shifted my understanding of how we care for, how we're stewards for the environment, how we serve the environment, how we're a part of it, how we're a part of God's creation in a more profound way than anywhere else I've ever lived. So in Alaska, we are Uh, probably more in tune with some of the realities of climate change. And I know that's difficult for some to hear, but, you know, we are really connected with it. We see it. Uh, My friend who is the pastor at Shishmaref, which I think Pastor Colleen, you know, Tommy as well. I remember being my first continuing ed kind of collegium nerdy pastor event where we all got together with the other pastors and he knew it was raining in Shishmaref. And there is a Lutheran congregation in Shishmaref. It's a coastal congr- a coastal community. And he started crying because he said, I know when it rains there, we're losing three to four inches of land because Shishmaref is literally sinking into the ocean. And so to watch this colleague of mine 
cry and his heart break because he was not with his congregation as the community is sinking into the ocean. It was a very stark reminder of the ways in which we have hurt God's creation over many, many years. That's not solely my hands, but the existence of humanity has caused a lot of harm. I mean, and even things locally, right? So I live near the Kenai River, which if anybody's come to Alaska and done any salmon fishing, they know how awesome salmon fishing is in Alaska. And the Kenai River is known for uh, a lot of these really awesome catches, but we're nearly out of king salmon. So people used to catch 80 pound kings like easy peasy, could do it. And now we really can't. They're not in the waters. They're very limited just because we've overfished our population, which has already happened in Oregon and Washington. They've had to put on these strict limitations. And so now we're starting to see some of that in Alaska, like these impact of where humans have taken more from the waters than the waters have been allowed to care for. I think one of the pieces that's also unique, and I, you know, Pastor Colleen, you talked about my particular passion and my connection of having served in a few indigenous communities is learning a bit more about the indigenous communities in what we call Alaska or in Canada. So the First Nations and something on that coastal region of the Pacific Northwest that plays a huge role is whales. I grew up, again, the generation of Free Willy, right? Yes. Are you a fan of Free Willy? Yes. Right. and my aquatic connection, especially was in the fourth or fifth grade, we were all in on Save the Manatees, like my group of friends from Pennsylvania, like fundraised money to save manatees. And so I think like that free willy take care of these ocean aquatic animals. Yes, like 90s kid, here we go. Yeah. Like, I remember being at Lutherland's pool as a kid and a camper and being at, like, Yellow Creek State Park, anywhere that I was swimming, and I would leap out of the water and scream, free Willy! Like, it was, I was so in love with whales um, because of free Willy and because of that whole story. And, um, you know, and even there, there was a Christmas where my family did one of those donations to, like, the World Wildlife Fund that, like, bought me a whale And I remember getting pictures. I think it was named Oreo because they're real creative with black and white orcas. And so I had like pictures of Oreo and then, you know, Oreo's brother and when Oreo had a baby and, you know, all this stuff. So from a young age, I feel like I've been, uh, you know, I've just been one of those, you know, some people are horse people and I was a whale person, right? Like I I loved, I loved, yeah, like. I remember I wasn't, I didn't play with Barbies, but I did have the Baywatch Barbie, but I didn't even really play with the Baywatch Barbie. I only played with the dolphin that came with Baywatch Barbie. So if that sums up who I am, like, (laughs) it makes so much sense, right? I'm here for it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I've always had this love for whales and water creatures in particular, and especially growing up in Western Pennsylvania, like we didn't have access to that stuff. Um, but you know, now having served in Alaska and I serve a primarily white congregation, but we do our, our, excuse me, our church building is on Denina land and it's part of the Kenaitse tribe. So Kenai named for Kenaitse, K-E-N-A-I-T-Z-E. That's the community that I'm part of. So we're part of the Denina or Denaina land. And that's our indigenous community here on the Kenai Peninsula. But what struck me about 
a lot of the tribes and nations of the Pacific Northwest is this deep attachment, not only to whales, but to all of creation. So an awareness of the gift that not only the waters bring to us, but also, you know, each animal plays a role, especially in indigenous culture. Uh, my sister used to live up north and, you know, I remember hearing stories about, I can't pronounce the name correctly, but there's whale blubber ice cream where you don't have fresh cream or you don't have fresh milk in some parts of Alaska, but you have whale blubber and you mix it in with your berries and that makes this form of, and then you freeze it. So it makes this form of ice cream. So these animals are a huge part of indigenous culture, whereas growing up, I'm white, uh, very, very white, uh, don't have any sort of native connection or heritage, but growing up white, my food all came from the grocery store, right? Like I would yep. go pick something off the shelf. You know, honestly, I didn't really think about where it came from. I just knew this is where we got food. I didn't have a connection to it. And even going back to Lutherland, right, that was, again, a new experience for a lot of us where we saw the connection between our food scraps that became compost, that became the garden. Then we got the leafy greens and the tomatoes and all the things from the Lutherland garden in our dining hall, which wasn't the norm for every kid, I think, growing up. So when we think about especially the indigenous cultures here in the Pacific Northwest, Alaska included, you know, one of the, I, a couple stories came to mind and one of the visuals I had in one of my first kind of springs here in Alaska is, I've lived here four years, I think it was two years ago. There was a young humpback male whale who had actually been beached on one of our tiny little kind of river creek things in Portage, which is on the way to Anchorage. And I grew up in Western Pennsylvania where it was like deer country, right? So like to have a drive to Anchorage and you drive across, it's just a narrow two lane bridge, maybe 20 feet off the water and to look down to your right. And there's a beached whale that's slowly dying on the side of the highway. Basically it was absurd to me because that's not where whales belong. That's not been my experience. That's not, I don't know. It just made me sad every time, like this kind of dismissal of the right and good order of things for animals and for this poor whale in particular. You know, I've learned more and more, again, being a nerdy, you know, orca kid with my, you know, pet Oreo that I got pictures of, how very social whales are. And so I think that made me even sadder to think about this humpback whale dying alone in isolation. You know, we, part of your community, from my understanding, is it's all places together, is it means, it goes back to that question of where's home for you. And to think about a very, very social being existing without community and dying a slow, painful death, to me, that's the most profound way in which we have let down God's creation and in which we have let down these creatures that are struggling to exist. Especially because, you know, again, it goes back to this sort of climate change part where the waters are getting warmer and warmer. They're struggling to find food. They're, they're struggling to survive. And so uh, that particular whale was a hard one to watch because we just, I mean, literally had to watch it slowly rot on the beach as we drove across the highway. It was really bizarre. 
Um, and then I think one of the other ones that came to mind is you may have heard of the whale Tahlequah who gave birth to the calf and then carried the calf with her who had died for 17 days. Did you hear that in your part oh, of the world? I don't know that I did. Okay, so again, whales are very, very social creatures. So there's this mama whale who gave birth to her calf, and she was seen, you know, it was first in British Columbia, but seen traveling with this baby that was really, really sick and then ultimately died. But she carried that baby for 17 days by pushing it up to the surface alongside of her and just kept pushing it up to the surface because... Again, she's a social creature, and the thought of letting her baby die was just heartbreaking, you know? So I'll, I'll uh, send the link to y'all so you can link to this podcast so others can see this article. But that was one that we followed really closely in Alaska. Again, I think because Pacific Northwest, even though that was technically Canada, I think we, we see whales, we know whales, we have this connection to the waters and the environment of that the whole ecosystem that lives within the waters but to watch this mama whale just carry this baby and it was even more heartbreaking because this this mama whale is part of a a resident orca population that hasn't had really a successful birth in almost three years which is huge if you think about a population you know and part of I think my family getting me that pet whale when I was younger is a preservation right you wanted to save the manatees because it was a preservation. You knew that either they were endangered animals or they were on their way to be extinct. To know that this particular resident pod hasn't had a successful birth for three years is pretty scary when you think about that ability. And then that goes back into that relationship with the First Nations people of how we interact with whales. And like I said, I mean, whales are used for everything from ice cream to food, heat, right? The blubber is used for heat and light and even if you are use if you're hunting whales with which native people do that's you know appropriate and it's done very carefully and very monitored when that's done there is a way of honoring those creatures that doesn't always happen in white culture in white community and in my experience of how I eat food off my dinner table i love the particularity that you are bringing to this conversation to think about how we serve community how we can serve the community of creation that is around us that there are so many different animals and ecosystems that are struggling across the globe right now because of climate change that it's sometimes hard to wrap our minds around that but as you're sharing these stories about Oreo about this whale that was on the side of the road that died about this mom and her calf. I think it zooms in in a way that helps us understand the gravity of our sins against creation and what's at stake here and hopefully then helps us to then be able to expand and and motivate the ways that we do want to put creation first whether it be you know whether you are a manatee person or a whale person or a rhino person like whatever that passion is or if it's an animal that's local if you're listening in the United States you may not have 
probably don't have like a local rhino, but what are the local animals then those ecosystems that are out of whack that you might be able to care for and maybe even have like a hands-on, well, I guess I don't mean literally hands-on because you probably shouldn't touch animals unless you're trained to do that, but a more, you know, practical day-to-day impact on them. Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, we have a role. And I think if we go back to that Mark scripture of came not to be served, but to serve, right? Like that's, this is sort of the idea of James and John are fighting over who gets the most important seats and they want to be promoted to the most important friends of Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This is not about who is the most important, but but to be a follower of Christ, to be my, you know, my friends, to be my disciples it means to be a servant. And, you know, uh, Martin Luther, and it kind of contradicts Mark a little bit, but Martin Luther talks about uh, servant, uh, slave to none, servant to all in one of his treatises. And I think that's a really important dynamic for human beings that we don't, slave is a, a challenging word, especially with, you don't want to be enslaved to somebody. And we don't want to enslave creation or enslave community, right? So, as I said, my understanding as a non-native person, indigenous communities, when there is a hunt for an animal or there is a catching of an animal, before anything else happens, there's a, a pause, there's a stop. And those who have gathered around, first and foremost, thank the animal for giving its life. And they thank the animal for serving them to say thank you. They, you know, Sometimes it's a song of praise, sometimes it's a, a spoken word. But it's, it's gathering and saying, thank you for giving your life to me so that I can eat of your flesh, so that I can use your fat to light the, the candle, so that I can, so I can benefit and live my life. So thank you. And I think that's the piece of gratitude that sometimes, again, as a white person growing up in a white community, I said grace before dinner, but often it wasn't a, it wasn't thanking the cow, it wasn't thanking the you know, it wasn't thanking the chicken for the eggs, but it was, thank you, God, that I have food. And so I think, again, that indigenous perspective of thanking the animal itself for its sacrifice is something that we can learn from. And it goes back to that, again, to be a servant. And that's what Jesus is saying of us as human beings, is to be the servant to all, to be the 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 caregiver, to to offer that love and appreciation that I think gets lost. So Meredith, let's think together then about what is a practical step that the All Places community could take this week to be a servant of creation, to put creation or creatures first this week. Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Well, as a good Christian pastor, pastor, I'm always going to say time, talents, and treasures. That's sort of my magic trio. That's the holy trinity of how we can be people of faith. And so I think you can use your time to do things. You can use your talents if you have particular skills. I think, you know, thinking about you putting together this podcast, you're relying on some folks with other skills. And so that's awesome. And our treasure. And so sometimes that's money. We know money is king, especially in the nonprofit world. So raising money for the manatees as, as simple as it may feel, like that's huge. That makes a difference. And so that time, talent, and treasure, I think, is an important one to think about because especially when we're talking about environment or creation, the list of problems is endless and it feels overwhelming. 
it feels like there is no, <laughs> no way of making a difference. But, you know, it kind of comes back to that, that starfish example, I think of if you can make a difference with one, it matters to that one, right? The, the starfish on the beach and you're throwing in one at a time and it's like, well, you know, this isn't going to solve the problem. There's still thousands of starfish on the beach. Well, it mattered to that one that you threw in. It mattered to that one. Yeah. I, I have such like a love and frustration with that story because it gets used a lot. But I think in this case, it's so profoundly true. Like it does make a difference and it does matter. And if there's more people out there on that beach throwing starfish back in, we can make a lot. We can make a bigger difference together. Right. And I think that's where the systemic change is important. And social work, it's not just fishing people out of a river who are drowning, but it's finding out why there's a hole in the bridge. So why are there thousands of starfish on the beach? That's something that you can do through true justice seeking, through uh, community organizing. Is there, is it solely climate? Is it, you know, what are the, what are the bigger cause issues? And also we need those immediate one-on-one interactions. So earlier this month, we had an earthquake, which we have a lot of earthquakes in Alaska, which is not one of my favorite parts of living in Alaska, but I'm learning to accept it as a reality. But earlier this month, we had an earthquake and there was a, a young orca, again, my beloved my beloved whale friends, who got stranded on some rocks off of Prince of Wales Island in Alaska. So earthquake happens. And every time there's an earthquake, we have tsunami warnings as well. So even I live on a peninsula, I'm not super close to open water, but I still get the tsunami warnings and they tell you to go to high land. It was really funny this last one because I had a roommate who lived with me for the summer and the tsunami warning came up on her phone and I hear his door open and I just yell from my bedroom, it's not us, don't worry. (laughs) Earlier this month, tsunami warning and part of that means the oceans are moving right? With the speed of an earthquake. And so an orca got stranded on some whales and it was stuck for six hours while NOAA, this uh, environmental research agency, was able to get the whale free and it survived. But in that time, people took buckets and were literally filling buckets of water and dumping it on this orca to keep it dry or to keep it wet, excuse me, so it could return to the ocean and live its life and join back to the rest of the pod. So Again, I I agree with you. I think the starfish analogy is limited because it doesn't address the root causes of injustice to creation. And also it does make a difference to the one. And I think about, again, the social creature stuck on rocks. I mean, and, and orcas are huge, right? So there's no way anybody's moving it, but filling buckets of water. So, you know, again, your question of a concrete step I struggle with because I think there are infinite things, but I think it comes back to that time, talent, and treasures. So maybe you have the time to dump some buckets of water. Maybe you have the talents to do some actual uh, justice work. And maybe that's like you said, in a local community of finding out why do we have such an issue with whatever it is. You know, last year during a lot of the lockdown with COVID pandemic, I fostered a lot of dogs. That's how my little Ruthie came to me. She is a foster fail. But that was something that I had the time that I was able to do, that I was able to have these dogs that were found on the side of the road, that were abandoned, and brought them into my home, kind of re-socialized them, gave them a safe place to be, and adopted them out. 
So I think in concrete steps, it doesn't have to be something that feels worthy of a news article or sort of this profound, big whatever, but it can be these tiny things of dumping some water or cuddling up with a puppy, but it can also be those things of doing the justice work of figuring out, you know, how do we advocate for the community of Shishmaref that's sinking into the ocean? And how do we challenge our representatives? You know, our, you could write a letter to a pol- you know, your political representatives about a particular issue, because I know from them, the more they hear from you about a topic, they know the more it matters to their community. So I think you can write a letter to your politicians. I think you can donate money to organizations that are doing the work you care about. So donate money to the Save the Manatees Fund if that's what your passion is for. But I also think the basic concrete step is to just be a kind human. Like, just be kind. And so, again, my as Alaskans, a lot of us go to Hawaii uh, because it's close. And by close, I mean it's like a six-hour flight. But we go to. It's pretty common that Alaskans go to Hawaii. And when I was in a, in Hawaii a couple of years ago, they have all these you know, places on the beach where the certain type of seals will come up and spend the night. And so there are volunteers that kind of put a framework around where those seals could rest and stay out of the framework so the seals can get their rest. And it's so simple. Same with the tortoises, right? Don't touch the tortoises, like let them exist. And so I think sometimes the concrete step feels like it needs to be this Again, big, profound thing. And sometimes it's as simple as just step back and assume that you're not in charge of everything. Be the servant, right? Honor the boundaries that creation has. Honor the place in the world that those creatures have. And don't assume that you need to be in charge of everything and touching everything. But just being kind and letting those animals exist is the most basic, easy this is the very first, just like our bead system at Lutherland, right? Like picking up micro trash isn't going to help the, the oceans over polluted with microplastics, but did it help a little bit in that place? Yes. But don't put the trash on the ground to begin with, right? Like use less trash, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle back from our elementary school days. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling now, but I just, I, you know, concrete steps are hard, but I think again, this overwhelming beast of how we care for creation, dial it way down to your time, talent, and treasure. Do you have time? Do you have talents? Do you have treasure? What can you put it forward? And figure out what you're passionate most about and be a kind person. Thank you, Meredith, for all of those many examples and that just, that power of being kind that we think about so often being kind to other people. And now we just got to be kind to creation too. Meredith, if people would like to connect with your congregation in Alaska, how might they do that? Thanks for the question, Colleen. So we are currently still live streaming our services on Facebook Live. So you can look up Christ Lutheran Church and then look for where it says Soldatna, S-O-L-D-O-T-N-A. And that's where we Facebook Live our services at 10 a.m. Alaska time which is perfect if you're like Colleen's mom, Mary, and loves to hit Alaska Church in the afternoons after doing Pennsylvania Church and Virginia Church and all the churches. Yeah, so, you know, you can always join us. And I like to think I'm pretty entertaining, but I also am a big believer in being honest and truthful. And I think we need more of exactly what, Colleen, you're doing with this community of making a safe place for all people 
to be open and honest about the messiness of our lives and the messiness of the world and the exhaustion of trying to figure out how to interact. Just as I couldn't give you one concrete step, there's not one concrete step to being a Christian or being a follower of Christ or being a person of faith, but it's using what bits of who we are and what we have and moving forward. So again, people are welcome to join us on our live stream. We also do our, my sermons are on podcasts through iTunes and Podomatic. So if you like to hear me rambling and are entertained by my stories, I'm happy to share that with you. And then I will send a few links to uh, Colleen that can be tagged to this podcast with some of the articles specifically about the stories that I shared for others to learn more about it. Wonderful. We will be sure to link all of those in the show notes. So thank you again, Meredith, so much for making time in these last few weeks of your Alaskan summer to gather with us here at All Places Together to share your wisdom and your stories. I'm just so grateful for our friendship and for this time. Thanks for inviting me, Colleen. It's been super fun to share this time and share these stories with you, and I wish you the best. This is an awesome ministry you're doing, and I'm glad that others get to be a part of it with you. So thank you for inviting me. A prayer for humanity. God, our creator, as we reflect on the ways that humans have sought to dominate creation, help us to hear the cries of the creatures around us, such as the whale. Fill us with your risen power. Help us to serve and preserve our planet home and to celebrate life with people from all lands and nations. In the name of Christ, the risen servant, who is the true image of God among us. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. Thank you to those who joined us this past week on Facebook Live as we prayed for planet Earth. I loved praying for all of the places that mean so much to you and hearing your stories about how you have stood in awe and wonder of planet Earth. Courtney shared this amazing story. She wrote, Yesterday I got to replant my mother's spider plant that is 41 years old and has given babies like the one I cultivate at my own house. Dirt and life and wonder all within God's creation. Wow, Courtney, I can barely keep a plant alive for a year, let alone 41 years. Thank you for sharing this story of God's grace and power shown through a spider plant. I hope to see you this Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live for our Prayers for Humanity. We'll dig deeper into the connectedness of all humanity, share our prayers, and grow in community together. Mark your calendars for Tuesday, October 5th, because that's going to be our animal blessing. 
There'll be more details to come about how your pet can receive a special blessing and a tag to adorn their collar, aquarium, or cage. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at All Places Together so you don't miss a thing. To continue to see All Places Together grow, you can give through our website. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. Thank you as always to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and people like you who have shared contributions. We know it can be hard to give financially. We celebrate all the ways you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life. I hope you'll share this week's podcast with a person that you love and you can join in caring with creation with. And until next time, remember that God is with you wherever, whoever, and however you are.